0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
1: It's Bullseye. (laughs) It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is J.B. Smoove. Heads up to listeners, there are a lot of expletives in this episode of Bullseye. Uh, So you are going to hear this sound a lot. A whole lot. Our apologies. Uh, We tried to slow him down. It didn't work. (laughs) J.B. Smoove is without a doubt one of the funniest people I have ever met or for that matter seen on screen. He's best known as Leon on Curb Your Enthusiasm. But it's also worth taking the time to see him in basically anything he has ever done. IMDb lists him with about 75 acting credits, and, you know, it might be worth going through and watching every single one of them uh, as soon as I'm done recording this episode. But even with all those credits, JB hits the road, when he can, to work on his stand-up. He's touring the country now. Here's a clip from his stand-up special on Comedy Central. This is How I do It. I my first villain. did right this movie, I played a villain. Something cool about being an A.
0: <laughs> <bitch. laughs> I wish I could do things at will, you know what I mean? Like, do things at will, like, you know what I I could do? I wish I could just, like, pile drive somebody anytime I wanted to, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I gave, I gave you a, a five. You gave me a chance for a one. Yeah, yeah look in that, in, that, in that pile of ones, you'll see a five, you <laughs> know? No, no, no. It's a, okay. it's a. Okay. No, come on, dog. Come on, come on man. <laughs> Take the pile of ones and get my change back. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, man, you a fool, man. You don't get my change back. Woo! You got me tripping up in here.
1: The unmistakable sound of JB Smooth delivering a pile drive. Nothing better than a good pile drive. Welcome to the show, oh, JB. I'm so happy to, to have you on the show. Hey man, it's always fun,
0: you know, I always call it channeling. Another man. Let's channel each other today. Okay. You know, sometimes you gotta feel a person. You gotta get their you gotta get their tendencies. You gotta feel the space around you and you attach yourself to that.
1: Have you already checked in with me so far?
0: Oh, you did. After that I came in the door.
1: Do you have insights already?
0: I see the beard. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I see a style. Right. I haven't noticed how you cross your leg. Yeah. See? Yeah, I'm a right over left man myself, see?
1: Yeah, I'm going left over right here. No, you're left over right. I've see, had some you, hip pain, so.
0: See, that that goes back to when someone sees you and you say, uh, my left or your left.
1: We're matching. We're like mirror men now.
0: We're mirror men.
1: Well, thank you for coming on the program. I mentioned unless, before.
0: Unless yeah. it's one of those two-way <laughs> mirrors where they put in those old-time department stores. You know what right. I'm saying? If it's that kind of thing, but it's not that kind of thing right now. We are absolutely mirror we're mirroring each other right now.
1: I mentioned unless
0: you want to steal some <laughs> and put it in your boxes. And then you wanna be a mirror and I'm just a security dude watching you from the other side. Huh? Are we Come on. pitching a movie here? No, I'm just I'm just pointing out little tendencies that people have to do. And one involves
1: stealing <laughs> through a two way mirror. So-, so do they even use two way mirrors anymore? I think they use them in in consumer focus groups, right? Yeah, Have you it, ever been in one of those focus groups I did where one they give before. you $50 and the they tell, what do you think about these pants? Host you were one the before. host for one? I did one for uh, Mountain Dew Whiteout. Uh, because here's the reason that I'm surprised by that. It's not that you had a white collar professional job. I'm sure you had mm. white collar professional jobs before you were a stand up comic. But the reason that I'm surprised is the job of that person who hosts the focus group mm. is not to bias anyone in the room to like be a neutral party who who people can be critical of the product to and feel comfortable being critical of the product to they just kind of guide the conversation in a neutral way. That's all it is. I honestly have a hard time imagining you guiding any conversation oh, in a neutral way.
0: I make that I make that I make the floor even, and I go so deep that you you, you don't see people are not supposed to see JB. Okay, you, do can't, you, wear... you can't see me. You can't, <laughs> you can't. You can't see me. You can't feel me. At all, I gotta, I gotta take you someplace else, a whole different place physically, and, and my presence has got to be so obscured
1: so I mentioned this before we got started, but you were a guest once on the show before. Uh, you were a cast member of a show called uh, Cedric the Entertainer Presents, Oh man, network sketch show. Mm-hmm. And I was in the middle of interviewing one of the writers <laughs> as he was in the middle of directing a scene. I think he had to go check some blocking uh, and he handed the phone to you. And uh, that guy, a very very well-known comedy writer at the time, um, told me that he thought you were the funniest person in the world. Oh man! And he didn't say that flippantly, and he didn't say it like as he handed the phone right. to you to explain why he I was. Love it. I think I asked him who he thought was the funniest person in the world, and he oh, said you. I think that. You know, on the one hand, you were already a veteran performer. That was about fifteen years ago. Fifteen years and ago, you're in your early fifties. But yeah. on the other hand, that was still relatively early in your career, um, in terms of where you've gone since then. Did you feel like you were making it fifteen and twenty years ago? Uh, like what constituted making it to you? To me, what constituted? See, I'm a, I'm a different. I'm a different animal. See, I'm
0: very. I'm very. You know, I'm very satisfied being. You know, B level because I feel like it allows me to do that. A lot of people, a lot of major stars can't do. I can still get my RV.
1: Wait, do people prevent Brad Pitt from from getting an RV? This dude can't. This dude can't just get out and and just
0: walk into a candy a grocery store, or 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 go and buy a candy bar without someone saying, "Oh my God, you're Brad Pitt." Well, even if, if somebody didn't recognize me, it's kind of
1: I, I can still walk away. But Brad Pitt can go to of, Grand Tetons National Park in his airstream, can he? I'm sure he can. But he's still Brad Pitt.
0: Now, I use this analogy with Howard Stern. I was on the Howard Stern's show. And I said, Howard, he we, we talked about this kind of, kind of about the same thing. I said, man, see, you can't eat spaghetti on an open patio. And he said, what does that mean? It means you can't sit there as Howard Stern with a bowl of spaghetti, the, mo- the mozzarella on top, maybe a little bit of ricotta, a little parmesan. You can't sit there and consciously eat that without the threat of your ass, lips Pulling together and pulling spaghetti in your mouth, because they're gonna see a photo of your in the paper. Cause I'm not worried about someone taking a photo of me or videotaping me, and I'm on TMZ, unbeknownst to me. See, that's a, that's that's how I measure your success is what you can do that normal people do.
1: Was that a choice? Was that a choice in your life? I mean, you have had. As much success as a human being who is fourth on the call sheet can have. Yes, you have done everything you can do in comedy right. that's uh, not with your name at the top of the bill. You mm. um, certainly, as a stand-up comic, you right. tour and headline, but in most things, you're you've been second and third on the bill. Yes, indeed. And I wondered, because of how brilliantly funny you are, frankly, mm. I wondered, like, I, I wonder if if JB at some point just decided I would rather be. You know, I would rather get the jobs that, where I know what I can do, I can come in and kill it. There you go. I don't have to carry the weight. I don't gotta do (laughs) All I
0: gotta do is get in there and reason. It's the same thing as sports. You get these basketball trades, people can't wait to trade deadline. Matter of fact, they they should have trade deadlines in real life. You should be able to trade your dad in at the last minute, he lost his job. You wanna get a dad who has a, a better job and that's the same thing with, with being an actor. Your a- should be able to take whatever you can do and be the most beneficial part of a team. And it includes movies, it includes TVs, directing, producing, whatever. I'm telling you, I turn down far more than I take because I just feel like if I, can, if I can't show up there and give you 20% of what the a- you're looking for, I shouldn't be here.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the other uh, high points of your career. You wrote on Saturday Night Live for a few years. Yes. And when you wrote on Saturday Night Live, my understanding is that you went out to be a cast member. Mm-hmm. Um, it came down to three. Two of them got cast and you didn't. Is that right? That's right. Um, it was Finesse Mitchell, mm-hmm. you, and who's the third person? Keenan. Keenan, yeah, Keenan Thompson. And thank you. And... Um, it it must have been it must have been disappointing to get that close to <laughs> to get that close to that point and and also to have it complicated by the fact that you're like uh, that not only did you did two out of three get picked and you didn't make it but also that there like was obviously unwritten rules about how many black guys could get picked <laughs> like not to put too fine uh, a point on it right but, right I, I don't I don't you know what I, I don't know there's certain things
0: that are needed in a certain time on a, on a show like that. And I, I think that's whether you're black, or whether you're white, or whether you're, because I, I consider myself so many different things. I'm, I'm a big character, whether I'm white or black. I'm very physical, whether I'm white or black. I'm very, I'm a scene stealer, whether I'm, whether I'm white or black. Um, I'm so many things on so many levels I've been doing it a long time, longer than anybody who I auditioned with for the show. So there's a few things in there, you know. They 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 always say that, you know, we don't hire stars, we make stars. So I was already on stuff, did several things before I got there. But I'm also like this. I'm very conscious of who I am and what I what I do. So for me, it's always like. Okay, I didn't make the show, but I always feel like you know of me now. So whether it's here, whether it's another producer who leaves the show or whatever, my phone gonna ring continuously because I know that I'm gonna I'll come to the table fully loaded all the time. Right but you're you're. I imagine that you bring a lot to an
1: audition, JP.
0: Oh man, I go in that shit <laughs> like idiot because I've always I I know see I know I know the rules of this and I tell any actor out there to do do, to do this you always come in peak you come in high as and you allow them to turn because everybody knows when someone says pull back a little bit everybody knows how to
1: pull back nobody knows how to turn it up and you weren't, first and foremost, a writer at the time. I mean, obviously, you had you were a veteran stand-up. You'd have yeah. written your stand-up. Yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah. you had done yeah. that, but done you were stuff. primarily a performer.
0: Yeah, and I was on, um, on on the Cedric show. I did his show. Then So I left a, a sketch show to go to SNL. So I left on camera, and I had done several other pilots and stand-up stuff, commercials. I had done everything. Coming in there, uh, auditioning for SNL, for me... You know, I'd say, you know what, let me see what I, can, what I can do over here. This will be another challenge to see what else I can do in this world as far as uh, sketch comedy. And then when I didn't get the, the, the role, the, the, the part, they called me and asked me if I want to come in as a writer. And I said, you know what, this will look good on my resume. So I said, what is it to invest a few years, a few seasons on a show like this? And It was an amazing experience because it really is a, a big machine. But you, you definitely have to be thick skinned. You know what it's like? It's like when you're writing a sketch and it's kind of like you're, you're trying
1: out for the cheerleading team, but you're trying out for that every week. Yeah, you had a reputation as a committed pitcher, as oh, a man yes. who would stand up and sell four sketch ideas every week.
0: Every week, four every week, four. I would make sure I do four a week. And that was, that was, you know, what that is is a captive audience. It's an ear to feed. You know, even if, I, even if I get a smirk out of you on a premise, I know I got your <laughs> I think about it like this. All that shit I did on SNL served a purpose. Number one is I came in, as an, I auditioned for the show. I ended up as a writer on the show. I ended up doing a uh, warm-up for two seasons. I ended up in crazy monologues. I ended up on the show, doing sketches here and there. I ended up doing Colonel O'Brien, who was downstairs. That's when he was still with NBC. I must have done Colonel O'Brien 10, 11 times while I was working at SNL. They would call upstairs, and Colonel would call Lauren and say, hey, can I borrow JB? I got a sketch I'm doing. They would call my office and say, yeah, go downstairs. Colonel must use you for a sketch. I would go downstairs. This is a writer on a show. I may have my computer typing jokes. I go downstairs, do Conan, you know, do a sketch on Conan right in front of a live audience. Go back upstairs, the
1: same elevator, back upstairs, get behind my desk and finish working. I want to play a sketch oh, from. I want to play a sketch from Saturday Night Live, <laughs> uh, and really, all, all all you need to know about this <laughs> is that Snoop Dogg is at a party, and he's not enjoying the party. He seems sad at the party. Ooh, mm, mm, mm. what's up, Snoop? What's up, Snoop? Oh, man, you enjoying your party? No, I'm not enjoying my party. Do it look like I'm enjoying my party? No. It does not look like you are enjoying your party. Snoop! What's wrong with you? What's wrong? I tell you what's wrong. The TV show Friends is over, fool. <laughs> it's the last Friends episode ever. I mean the last one. No more friends what
0: the hell am i supposed to do i love
1: snoop i mean you said all this material that uh, no one besides you could sell i feel like that's something that jb smooth could sell or snoop Dogg could sell that premise that silly hey i
0: wrote a sketch i remember one sketch i wrote when snoop was uh, a guest man this was to me one of the greatest sketches ever they never made it it was a time of the it was the same time of the uh apprentice and i wrote a a sketch called the pimp so it was it was it was Snoop Dogg as a pimp, and and all the apprentices was the same as it was set up just like the TV show The Apprentice, and I remember I remember when I um it got cut, all right, and I said man, I gotta go downstairs and tell Snoop it didn't make it, and I went downstairs, I took the elevator, took the staircase downstairs, and I had to go to his dressing room. I said Snoop man, sorry man they. They cut the Pimptus. He said, "What? You mean to tell me, J.B. Smooth, they cut the the pimpers?" He couldn't believe they cut the Pimptus.
1: When we return, J.B. Smooth talks about his unforgettable role as Leon on Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Squarespace. Squarespace allows small businesses to design and build their own websites using customizable layouts and features, including e-commerce functionality and mobile editing. Squarespace also offers built-in search engine optimization to help you develop an online presence. Go to squarespace.com NPR for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code NPR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. It has already been an eventful summer in politics. Yeah, between the 2020 debates and the president's battle over immigration, there's a lot going on. And when there's news you need to know about, the NPR Politics Podcast is there to tell you what happened. Not to mention we're hitting the road so you can meet all of the 2020 contenders. Oh, NPR is going to drive me completely crazy. (laughs) The NPR Politics Podcast. Subscribe! It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Joining me is actor J.B. Smoove. He's on tour across the country doing stand-up. He's also in the film Spider-Man Far From Home. You may remember him as Leon on Curb Your Enthusiasm. When you auditioned for uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, mm-hmm. did Larry David know your work at all? No. I didn't know Larry. So, so were you walking in pretty much cold? I walked in cold as shit,
0: But I know how to audition. But I also... Thrive on the universe. Meaning that Kirk Enthusiasm was my favorite show when I was working at SNL. I found it to be amazing. And even at that time, even before I got on SNL, my whole life, my stand up routine has been a lot of improv. So for me, just knowing that show
1: was improvised blew my mind. I would sit there and watch, amazed, like, I can't believe they don't have a script. So, did you go in and audition immediately with Larry David? Because that's, as that my understanding is, yeah. that's often how they do it on Curb. They'll yeah. just have I was to come in and, yeah. and work with directly with Larry. With Larry, and I always, like I said, my rules
0: are: you come. I I always walk into the room as the character. I never walk into the room as JB, and I never have to turn on the character I'm, I'm auditioning for. If you come in there as a character, they see your mannerisms. They see how he walks in the room. They see what he does with his hands, how he stands, what he, you know, his everything. I gave it to them before I opened my mouth. And I walked up to Larry. Larry's standing in the middle of the room. I had an audition with Larry directly. I said, I might f- around and slap you in the face. I'm not sure. And I walk away to start the scene, and all I heard was snickering and laughing. And Larry was like, Ooh, who f- this guy, you know? <laughs> And and that was the beginning of an amazing relationship between two guys who have never met each other. But i also say that seeds had to be planted. The first thing I ever did before I started doing stand-up was I took an improv course in New York City at the old M- Improv Comedy Club. So I could feel, figure out who I want to be on stage. This is freaking 89, maybe, years ago. First thing I ever did. Put that little tool in my toolbox. Next thing you know, I'm improvising in my stand-up. Preparing myself, I guess, for possibly the greatest improvised show on TV. Do
1: You play Leon, who's a guy who moved into Larry David's house as a Katrina survivor yep. and just stayed. Um, now he lives in a pool house, I think, out back. Yeah, yeah. I um, don't understand. Can you describe to me, because I think one of the very special things about Leon is his manner of dress. Mm. Uh, it's very different than yours. You came in here in a very nice sport coat you have on a beautiful pair of boots. Yes, indeed. Um, you look like a million dollars, JB. That's what change. Uh, Leon never looks like a million dollars. Never. It is a very specific kind of not a million dollars that he looks like. Could you describe what he looks like? I can describe this guy. He's a guy that
0: lives day to day. His 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 wardrobe matches his confidence. Somehow this guy wins. He's a winner. And that's why I wanted him to come across. I didn't want the guy to come across as a loser. I want him to come across as a dude that's profoundly interesting. Eccentric on some levels. How do you get away with wearing this and still have this much confidence in your presence? And, you know, as an actor I got to choose every scene because, as you know, it's improvised. I got to choose whether I want to have Larry's back or go against him. I got to sit there and think before the scene says action if I'm going to have his back or if I'm going to go against him. So that means that I got to figure out what's going to get the most mileage of funny and what can I use as a callback later. So in my brain, I got to almost like think about, I gotta almost like be a time machine in my brain. I gotta see the next episode and the next episode, and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta plant something right now that's gonna be etched in stone in in episode three that I can use in episode five or
1: episode eight. Leon reminds me of when I was a kid in <laughs> a, in the neighborhood. You know, I I was born in 1981, so we're probably talking about 1990ish, yeah. 1992, something yeah. like that. Dudes who would be who would look like they were auditioning for Saturday Night Fever. Yes. And they'd be leading, walking, you know, gasoline. With yes. Toes coming at you first. And there is this strange combination of, on the one hand, this <laughs> is 15 years past when that was a cool thing to yes. do. It is, and they are grown adults acting like a 19-year-old. Oh like, the, it, On the one hand, it is a terribly, it is you know, like a, a pathetic and embarrassing thing. But on the other hand, on the right guy, you kind of let it slide because you're like, well, he's doing his thing. He's just out here doing his thing. Doing his thing. And Leon is always just out there doing his thing. And like, if if it weren't for the fact that it was so obvious that, Mm -hmm. you know. Larry and Leon love each other. <laughs> if it weren't for this romance between the two of them, like I, it, would, yeah. it it could very easily be pathetic. But it's never pathetic yeah. because it's you're just like, wow, he's just he's got these theories, and it's the same thing that draws you to Larry David's character. Yes, you know? yes. Larry David's character is a weird crankus. He's a crankist, but man. but you love him because he just has a vision for the world. Yep, and and I, I,
0: it's 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 so deep how all this works. How you you you're supposed to end up in in these certain places, certain spaces. Before I went in the room, I could when I walked up there and I walked up to Larry, I felt the energy before we even opened our mouths. I felt like even in the room, I felt like I knew everybody already. So I think it's one of those things where it, it goes back to knowing exactly what you're confident in, which is what Leon does. All right, but his, his mouth, his philosophies have have got to overpower that goofy ass outfit. It has to be a balance there somehow. But when I went in, when I met them, I said wardrobe. I said, man, I want the most outrageous shit you could ever think of. I said, give me some cool tank tops in all colors and flavors. And, and when I saw that lime green tank top, I'm telling you, that lime green tank tops get so much love. And that robe the robe with no belt. They gave me the robe with a belt. I said, nah, take that belt out, throw the belt away. Cause I want, I want him to walk around with no belt to the robe. He's always got to keep holding it shut with his hand. And you were thinking, why don't you just get
1: a belt. I mean, I think like, <laughs> I've heard you describe Leon as uh, not right, but also not wrong. And yeah, yeah, I think oh. in a way that's true of Larry too. Like both of those characters, yes. Like it's really, they both have complicated systems, right? And clear visions of their weird, complicated systems. But ultimately, what is driving right. what is driving each of them is Larry is going to find fault in every social interaction he has, yes, no indeed. matter what it is. Yep. And and Leon is going to have uh, an ambitious, positive attitude about yes. every interaction he has with anyone in the right. world. And the fact that they match so beautifully is a wonderful thing to have happened. It really to the show. is, man. It really is. And you know, I think when you,
0: and even like little things that choices that I that you make, even like think about the the Seinfeld season. You know, I told the I said I told the guys before I even did that scene where. Larry and Leon are watching the rehearsal of Seinfeld. And I'm saying, I'm going to play it. I'm going to pretend Leon never even heard of Seinfeld. And at first I was like, is that too far-fetched? And I said, nah, it's not. And I played that like I didn't know any of these people on this set. I've never seen Seinfeld in my life. It gave him this circle a box to live in that Larry's trying to get in and learn more about him, and he's trying to get out and learn more about Larry and I think you always got to create this box that you live in this world you live in so that people are always always curious to see what makes this dude tick like we, and I, lo- I love I love that he doesn't have a origin you know he, he's he from LA, he's from LA where you still don't know his story you don't know whether he got thrown out of his old apartment you don't know anything but he shows up at your front door it just makes itself at home.
1: Some of my favorite scenes on the show <laughs> are scenes where Larry David is just curious about something that Leon thinks or is talking about. Yes. You know, like there's a, uh, there's a famous scene on the show where your character Leon uses the word lampin.
0: Yeah, what are you doing? Well, f- lampin, what you doing? Lampin? Chilling, relaxing. Why'd you change from chilling? What was wrong with chilling? You gotta get another one? Lampin'? Lampin', I can sit around here, with boxers on, a tank top, my feet up. And chilling is what? You gotta be in Just, real clothes? You gonna walk around and chill. You
1: know, oh. you, you
0: upright. You
1: chilling upright. You guys got some great slime. <laughs> I got it. And, and so on and so forth. <laughs> and like, on the one hand, you're like, you're literally explaining <laughs> Like this is this is slang from a Cool Mo D song. This is something right. from 1988. More easily, yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> but because each of you live in these own in these in these individual magical worlds, and yes. it's so sweet how it's so sweet how. How sincerely curious Larry becomes—the <laughs> most incurious man in the world, the man who thinks Easily. he has it all figured out. But this is the one person who's from so far outside that zone. Yes, that he's like, oh, what? what? Tell me about that. I remember. I remember we, we did a scene, the scene—the getting that <laughs>
0: scene. Uh, Larry never heard that phrase ever. <laughs> You'll see genuine moments of—I can always tell when he really don't know what the. I'm talking about. No, <laughs> I, I can tell. His eyebrows get kind of. He starts nodding his head a little bit. and He starts to smirk a little bit. That means he has no idea what the hell Leon is talking about, which I love because it comes across so genuinely. Like, like it makes it. it really gives the, the the show and the characters levels there. Cause you and once you know it's improvised. You're really sitting there watching it, like I don't think Larry knows what getting that is. You know what I mean? (laughs) We, but it's such, such a, you know, it's it's one of those things where every season I try to introduce something to him that he's never heard of in his life, and it really, it really is, you know, doing doing my dizzle, bringing the ruckus. You know, all those things, all those little nuances, champagne filled croissants <laughs> was, just, <laughs> was just silly as hell. But it's silliness, but it all has a meaning. So, yeah. It's a
1: little bit like if E-40 was a sitcom character. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Let me take you on this flight of fancy. We're making up words yes. and whatnot. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, I uh, I want to thank you for taking all this time to be on Bullseye, JB. It hey, was really nice to we really got we nice got to do this, this again to sometime.
0: So many little nuances to this to this world, man. To you know this journey, I call it a journey, man. Through through time and space, man. Through through meeting people and, and building with people, man. And uh, this, this this is this is building
1: right here. I bothered you at a party once yeah i saw you at a party i said i was there with no i didn't know anyone besides the person i came with i said "Oh, about there goes jb smooth i said I, i'm gonna go bother jb smooth i don't have anything else to do at this party i'm gonna bother jb smooth very very polite to me i, I appreciate it that's how
0: i do man yeah I, I i don't know any other way to to carry myself or to live man but everybody deserves a little a little bit of time man a little slice of 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 time man, and uh I find it interesting when I meet people, man. It's it's really I'm really genuine in that, you know. And, and I love it, man. And it, it builds character, it builds your presence, man. Cause I always say, man, you gotta you gotta leave something. You you want some good stories, man, when you leave this leave this earth, man, that people say, I hey, one time I met JB Smooth at a party. You know what I mean? Or whatever it is. There's something cool about that, man. Like that. Tell me that JB
1: Smooth story again. You know what I mean? Oh God, I love it. Thank you, JB. My man. J.B. Smoove, everyone. He is touring our great nation this summer and fall. You can also check him out in the film Spider-Man Far From Home, which is in theaters now. Or maybe uh, take the opportunity to revisit some old episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm. There are a lot of ways to enjoy J.B. Smoove. We've come to the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced at MaximumFun.org, world headquarters overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where this week our producer Ragu saw a duck walking carefully across a crosswalk like a proper law-abiding pedestrian. Who says no one walks in Los Angeles? The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. He's away taking care of a beautiful new baby. So Ragu Manavalan stepped in for him this week. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We could help from Casey O'Brien. Our production fellow is Jordan Cowling. Our interstitial music is by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Thanks to Dan for sharing it with us our theme song is huddle formation by the go team thanks to them and their label memphis industries for letting us use it and before you go did you know bullseye has nearly two decades of archives available to you that's right i started doing this show when i was 19 years old and i am 38. there are so many great interviews in our archive you can find them at maximumfun.org. you can find the last few years worth on youtube To search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. You can also find them in your favorite podcast app. Hey, how about this? You like Curb Your Enthusiasm? How about Jeff Garland? Jeff Garland's been on the show. That guy's a delight. He plays Jeff on the show. Jeff from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Anyway, uh, that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off.
0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.